Hello. Hello. Oh, there's a big clock here, so that's good. Have a seat, Cornelia. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Edinburgh Literary Festival and welcome to this session with Cornelia Funke. Um, I'm Barry, Barry Cunningham. Cunningham. Um, I'm shouting into my microphone. <laughs> I'm Barry Cunningham. Um, I'm Cornelia's publisher and I've been with her on this long and exciting journey, really, into books. Um, in my old life, I was, I was famous, really, for, um, for first publishing J.K. Rowling. And... Uh, so people used to send me quite a lot of letters saying, you know, I really, really like Harry Potter. Um, when's the next one going to happen? When's the next one's going to happen? So it was a bit of a surprise one day when I, when I got a, a special letter from a little girl that said that um, I want you to publish someone who's much, much, much better than Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so she sent me uh, a letter giving me a kind of list of reasons why, uh, why I should publish this, this new author. And she did it like a cake. You know, she did it like full of ingredients. So the ingredients of this book cake that she was describing uh, were an enchanted roundabout, a grumpy detective, a gang of street children that lived in a cinema. By the time I got there, I was kind of hooked. I felt I had to find out some more about that book. So the author that she was writing about was, was called Cornelia Funke, a, a, difficult, a difficult name to even pronounce, really. And uh, my company was called The Chicken House, so you can imagine the jokes about funky chickens and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Still, I wasn't deterred, I wasn't put off. Um, I, I, I found out that Cornelia was already enormously famous in Germany. And um, she was an enormously famous for all kinds of books. Um, so through another strange set of circumstances, which involved me looking like one of her heroes, Bob Hoskins, who was also, she imagined, in this book called The Thief Lord. And, and the tarot, which is a kind of card, a set of cards which tells the future, which, which also I, I managed to appear in. <laughs> and so when I finally, um, when I finally met Cornelia, um, uh, we, we came together and, and I started publishing her books, both in this country and America. And she's gone on to be, as many and many of you know, probably the most popular international storyteller in the world. So that not only does she write great novels like Thief, Your, Thief Lord and Dragon Rider and the Inkheart trilogy, but she writes picture storybooks. She writes uh, smaller books for younger children. Um, she, she, writes, she has all kinds of visions as a storyteller for all kinds of people. And very early on, a little girl said that, that she, her best description of her was she was a spy for children inside the adventures. And I think that's really what she is. She's a great storyteller, but she's a storyteller from children's perspectives. So it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome Cornelia. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask her a few questions and she's going to tell us a few things about her work and her new work. And then we're going to ask you whether you'd like to ask some questions too. So, my friend and my finest author, Cornelia Funke. And now I'm probably as red as a tomato by now, right? <laughs> It, it, I have to say he's the most magical publisher you can wish for in the world because writers, of course, have a longing to find magical publishers who understand about storytelling and who, once you've finished your new book and you send it off to the publisher, get, give you those magical phone calls like Barry can, explaining to you what you did with the story and what you did differently from the story before. He's the best to tell you as a writer where you are on your journey to become a really good writer. So going back, Cornelia, going back in time, yes. when did you know that you were a storyteller? Did you always think of stories? How did all that happen? Well, the thing is, I was a storyteller, but I didn't know I was a storyteller when I um, had to entertain my two younger brothers. So when I was about 10 to 12, 14, 15, I always told them Star Trek episodes. I had to make them up because at that time you didn't have video, I'm, I'm already 50, 
I didn't, there was no, you know, TV every day on a hundred programs. So we had one Star Trek episode a week, which is definitely not enough. So I had to make up one every evening. Every evening my brother said, oh, what about another episode? So that's how I became a storyteller. And then I became a book illustrator and was so bored by the stories that every, the publishers sent to me that one night I sat down and I thought to myself, why don't I try myself to write a story which I can then illustrate and finally do all the drawings I want to do of dragons and mermaids and whatever. And then it took me another five years and four books until I realized that actually I'm better at writing than I am as illustra at illustrating. But do you still see the story, the pictures in your head? Do you see the characters as you write them? Yeah, I, I do, though it's funny that I think we all know about that, that in a book we don't see our characters the way we see them on a screen. We see them with emotion, so we know how they feel. We know how their temperament is and how it would feel to be in one room with them. But if you try to draw the face of your favorite characters, you will probably find out that you don't know exactly what they look like. You may know the color of their hair, but that's about it. What do you think is important to tell children about the characters? Is it I, the colour of their hair or is it other things? I, I mostly try not to describe my characters because even though I sometimes do, the reader will ignore it anyway. Because, for example, with Mo, one of the characters in Inkheart, a boy came to me and said, well, Cornelia, you say he has black hair, but of course he doesn't. He's fair-haired and he gla wears glasses. <laughs> so you're like, okay. It's fine. So I know that all my readers have their own movie in their heads. And I do respect that, although sometimes it's very irritating. <laughs> and, and I don't describe my characters mostly to leave to you to cast your movie in your head the way you want it to be. And we all have very different favorite actors. So mostly I leave the description to the reader. And are you surprised sometimes that children like different characters than you thought they were going to like? Absolutely, though I have to admit, I always thought that children don't need children in a book. But that's a cliche that many adults have in their heads, that children like to read about children. Why should they? They mostly know about what it is like to be a child. They want to know, what does it feel like if I'm 30? Okay. So when I did the ink books, I had a group of journalists, and they said to me, oh, so who is the favorite, uh, the favorite character of children? I said, well, Dustfinger. And they all said, no, that's impossible. He's so edgy, he's so dark, he's so, no. And I had three children sitting there for a school magazine. I said, what's your favorite character? Dustfinger, Dustfinger, Dustfinger. <laughs> I said, why? And the little boy said, because he makes his own rules. And that's, that once again uh, proved to me that children understand my books even better than any grown-up can, because they have such an open mind. And they also, what is so wonderful to write for children is, you have an audience who is absolutely willing to go into any world you give them. And you give a child one sentence, and they build a whole world on it. The older we get, the more difficult that becomes. So to keep that skill, and to just with one word trigger a whole universe, that's a difficult task in life. Yeah, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of children have talked to, to me about Dustfinger and other characters like that. And of course, that they, um, they long to know what happened before the beginning of the story and after the end of the story. Most children don't ever, ever believe, and I certainly don't, that the story only is made up of the bits that you've told. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> so do they ask you about their backgrounds and where they came from and lots of things that you haven't written? Yeah, sometimes they do, though it is interesting that children are mostly not interested in the childhood of the hero, right? I very rarely get that question, so who were the parents of Dustfinger? Oh, though I tell tiny bits about that. Um, but they very often want to know more about the world. You put them in with something. So, so I think that it's very interesting that very often the older readers are very interested in Oh, what happened before, because they already have such a long span of life mm. that they see that. And a lot of your books are made up of magical occurrences. 
Do you have any rules about magic in your book? What's allowed and what's not? Well, luckily you're a very strict publisher when I it am comes very to that. Strict. So very, every very time strict. you do something magical, Barry says, well, let's talk about the rules. Okay? This is really contradicting. How does this happen that he can read them out of the book and then at that point, you know, it's like, so he's very strict about that, which I love. Because if you set up a, a set of rules about magic, they should be absolutely logical. And I have to say, I tend to stay away from too much magic because you don't want to have a world in which you can just snip your fingers and everything changes. No. I think one, I once worked with a very, very um, famous older publisher and um, she said to me, she said two things. She said, there are two rules about, she was a very bossy woman actually, she said, there are two rules, there are only two rules, she said shouting, she shouts a lot, shout, shout, two, two rules about publishing Barry. She said, first thing is that you can get away with one very big enormous fib, like you're that tall or you can go through the back of a wardrobe or you can have enormous magical powers. But everything else apart from that has got to be really normal. It's got to obey the rules. And she said, the other rule is, tell, I tell all my authors, start at chapter two. Start at the action. Tell them all about all the rules and all the, all the details later. She oh, said, interesting. Start at the action, she said. <laughs> so um, that, was, that was somebody who used to work for Puffin Books called Kay Webb, who used to, um, used to be the editor of Roald Dahl when I used to work with him. And, and he was very uh, good at starting with the he action. He was very good at starting with the action. And he was also really good at grown-ups. Like Absolutely. Saying, because he, he, he really believed that grown-ups um, weren't always on your side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes so they So he was the child, exactly. Yeah, so do you feel that grown-ups are not always on the children's side in these books? Yeah, what I always found very disturbing is that how much a child depends on the decisions uh, grown-ups make in their life. A child depends on, oh, my parents want to move there and I will lose all my friends. My, a child depends on whether their parents are happily married and stay together. So for a child, until the age of when you leave home, you are totally dependent on somebody else's decisions. And I remember when I was a child, although not many terrible decisions were made by my parents. I nevertheless always felt like, oh my God, what a treat it will be when one day I can decide when I go to bed, I can decide where I live and whether I have a dog or not. And I still think it's the greatest treat to be a grown-up. I would never get on the magic roundabout and I would never give one year of my life away. So it's very interesting that I am very childish still in my nature, but I so don't want to be a child again. And uh, I think that's what you feel in my stories, both of it. Yeah, the, the magic roundabout is in Thief Lord, if any of you have read that, when, uh, when the, round, the, 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 the roundabout spins you back in time or, or forwards or in forward. time. Or forward. You can either grow on, up on it or you become a child again. Your choice. Yeah. Your children have to be very brave, though, Cornelia. That's the thing that I've noticed. But there's no room for people not to really get to grips with things, is there? Because there are quite scary things that happen to them. <laughs> uh, to my children? Yes, to your children in your books. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Do you think you have to be brave as a child because I of all those adults? Yes, I think you have to be brave. And I also think that as a child, you're much more serious about the world. I think that you still see that the, li that the world is about life and death, for example. You haven't pushed that fact away yet. You, you know, you look at cruelty and you see cruelty. You haven't covered it up like we tend to do when we're grown up with lots of reasons or just not looking at it or reading on, about it in a newspaper and feeling safe because it's only in the newspaper. So children feel much more that this world is a really dangerous and strange place. And on the other hand, I always notice that they are very enchanted by the beauty of it because sometimes growing up you pay the price that you cover both the cruelty and the beauty and you don't look at both. So um, I think it's very interesting to see that in children. Mm. But that's why I think, yeah, you have to be courageous. My little son, when he was five, had three water pistols under his pillow and two swords by his side. And when I said, Ben, why do you sleep with all swords? those weapons? Yeah, <laughs> and he was very disappointed uh. by that. I took the one away with the edge. Uh. And, and he said to me, well, mom, the world is a very dangerous place. And you know, when I had a walk, he always came with me with three pistols and a sword. And he said, I have to protect you from the wolves and the bears. Yeah. 
I think, I think it is a dangerous place. There's, it no, is. there's no knowing what might happen next. In a lot of your books, like books like The Thief Lord, and I can't say The Thief Lord this afternoon, can I? <laughs> books like The Thief Lord and Dragon Rider, um, the, the, the children make kind of extended families, don't they? So in their family, they have a, a, um, a hobgoblin or they have a, a, a dragon, or, and they all go to make up a kind of extended family. Do, do you feel that, that, that all those people can be included in a new family? I, I absolutely. That is, I think, the substance of my books, that I believe in friends. I think there is no greater treasure in the world than finding true friends in your life. And I think that's what life is all about. And if you don't succeed in that, you will not succeed in the world. And I don't believe in the single hero. You will not find one single hero in my stories, although at the moment in my new one, I am actually dealing with one. I'm going but, to ask you about that later. Yeah, but that's, a, that's why I say that's the only exception I can think of mostly. I have these teams and who only together can face the evil I put them through. I'd like to have a friend, best friend, who was a dragon, really. I think flying on the back of a dragon is probably the most exciting thing I can ever, ever think about. Yeah. And often when I go to sleep, I don't know if you all do this, but you think, you're going to think of something just before you go to sleep to put you to sleep. And I often think of flying on the back of a dragon and just oh. feeling the wind in my hair as, and then gradually <laughs> I fall asleep. And, then and on your ever skin. since I read that book and, and he flew on the back of that dragon, I've, I've always wanted yeah. I always wanted to do that. I so understand that. I always, when people ask me, which character do you want to get out of a book? I would say, of course, the dragon, to write yeah. it. You know, that, was, that would be the best thing in yeah. the world, sadly. I was, never, I was never very interested in his friendship with a little girl. I always <laughs> wanted him to go off with a dragon. Will there be any more adventures in, in Dragon Rider, do you think? You know, Will I, there be another book one time? Well, I hope so, because I have an outline for a second one. But always these other stories and other characters pushed away into my writing house. I have a little writing house in my garden. And then the dragon has to wait. Tell us about where you live now then. You've already tantalized us with the writing house in the garden. Yeah, well, four years ago, I moved from Hamburg in Germany, which has about the climate and the weather of Edinburgh, um, to California, because I was tired of the weather. To, and to Hollywood, let's to be serious. Well, I don't live in Hollywood, as you know. I live in Coldwater <laughs> Canyon. So, so uh, yeah, if I moved to LA and uh, it's a very bizarre and very different place from where I come from. And I have an old house in a canyon. Well, LA has lots of those canyons, but in the evening you have the coyotes in the streets. And when you walk your dog, you have to be very careful of the rattlesnakes and the mountain lions. So it's a very strange city that has, is both a huge machine of a city with nine million people. And on the other hand, it is pure wilderness, like I had never seen it in Europe. So. I have a writing house in my garden with, with lots of dragons in there and uh, no internet or anything just for writing. And it's quite a magical place. It even has a lemon tree in front of it. And, and, and does your, your, you have uh, children? I have two children. My daughter is 20 and will move to London in September. And uh, my son, Ben, who with the one with the water pistols, is still rather wild and 14 and is a Los Angelino. And do they, have they appeared in your books? They do, Anna prefers to have dedications. So she likes to say that I say for Anna, but don't put her as a character into the books. Although that is changing at the moment. Whereas Ben loves to be a character in the books. He, for example, was Bo in The Thief Lord, and I did a picture book on him called The Wildest Brother. So going now onto the Inkheart trilogy, which is certainly one of the most exciting series that, that, that really have ever been, I think, for modern children. And those of you who haven't read any, I can't believe anybody in this room won't have started the Inkart trilogy, but it's, um, it's a story about going inside an actual book, isn't it? Yeah. Tell us the story of how you thought of that. Well, of course, as all the ones of you who have been ever enchanted by a book know that fantasy that you could walk into the book and be part of it and for a while live with the characters or places. So of course that was an idea I thought many people had come up with already, but funnily it's not often in literature that these things happen. 
for a while I thought, how do they get out? I wanted their characters also to come out and not just you to go in. And I finally came up with a human voice that you read them out. And I have a bookbinder who can read so beautifully that the characters come out of the book, but sadly, somebody always has to go in. So you get someone out, you send someone in. And his wife got lost that way. So it was quite a treat for a storyteller to tell a story where you get lost in a book. And I learned a lot about storytelling while I did that. Mm. And, uh, and we're just out in paperback now is the third part. Will, will the book uh, carry on at all, or is the third part the final part of the Inkheart trilogy? Well, I always think it is the final part of that trilogy, but one thing happened. One of my villains, and I won't say who, escaped me in part three. I was writing the chapter where I wanted to kill him. I was so looking forward to it. I wanted to give him a really grueling death because I hate him so much. So I was so looking forward to it, and he escaped. And my characters do that to me all the time. I plot about 10 to 20 chapters, and then they just take off, and they change the story just the way they feel, or that the way they know the story is. For me, a story is like a maze. So I walk into it as a writer, and there's only one way to get through that maze. If you, if you lose that way, or if you turn the wrong corner, the story loses its power immediately. It doesn't have any strength, doesn't have any any vigor anymore. So I go into that maze and those characters from time to time stand at a corner and say, this way, Cornelia, this way. And I'm like, no, I wanted to go there. And then they are like, you're so wrong, okay? This is the way. Do you want to have a writer's block and sit there for three days not knowing where you go just because you turned the wrong corner? Come with me. So that's what they do and he got away. So I don't know what he's doing. I think he does bad things in that world of mine. I created it, and now he's destroying it. So maybe one day I have to check what he's doing. But let's see. Let's see. So, so how do you feel about killing off characters? It has to be done. <laughs> it, and I, I tend to not do it very often. I love to kill my villains. I do that quite a lot. I hate to kill my heroes. I feel like a traitor. I feel like a cruel mother. And on the other hand, I am like the writer I put into Inkheart, who says, I wept when I wrote your death. So I feel incredibly sentimental and touchy when I kill one of them. And I try to give them a glorious death. I was very upset with J.K. Rowling, who I don't agree, I'm not better than Potter. I totally admire Potter, and I'm on my knees for it. But I hated how she killed Sirius Black. I hated it for it, I still hate her for it. It's like she wiped him off the wall like a fly. And I was so angry that I said to myself, if I ever kill one of my heroes, I give him a death that the tears just come streaming off the page and the blood is all over the place. So I killed one of my heroes, an ink spell. You did. My most beloved hero. You did. <laughs> and it was the strangest thing. I knew I had to do it in, when I was in London in a taxi going to Heathrow. I had been to my agent's office, had worked with Barry that morning, signing books, and we had discussed Sirius Black's death, right? And yes. it triggered a lot of very strange things in my head. So I get into the taxi. I had 400 pages. I had no ending for my story yet, as normal. They hadn't told me how to get out of the maze yet. So I'm in the middle of the maze. Do I'm you like, have a panic at that point? Never. I'm like, <laughs> they're all in prison. I have no clue how to get them out. They will tell me. So I'm sitting in the taxi. And suddenly I see this flash of my dead character, my favorite character. And I'm like, no way. Forget about it. That's not what I'm going to do. And it comes over and over again. And I see that's exactly where the story wants to go. So the next day, I have a long walk with my dog with a piece of paper. As a writer, you always have to have a piece of paper and a pen. Pen has to write on skin in case you run out of paper. So in the woods with my dog, like, how can I do this? How can I do this? If I have to kill him, how do I do it in a really glorious way and that he won't be angry with me? And I think I pulled it off. I think, I think he is. told me that he wanted to die and I brought him back in glory. So do you dream of the characters as well? Do they, do they come back in your dreams Sadly, afterwards? My dreams are so disappointing. If you had to watch my dreams, you would all be bored stiff. <laughs> nothing adventurous nothing, in there. Nothing. I think I pull it all out during the day. Yeah. 
And so the, de the nights leave me with dreams like, I miss the train, I miss the train, I miss the train. So nothing, 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 no. nothing very rarely, very, very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite disappointing. And did you, obviously the, the Inkart trilogy is full of the most amazing fairies and the most amazing magic and my, one of my favourite bits actually is the giant's nest in, in the third oh, book. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you I haven't like read the, the third book yet, there's this fantastic bit of the giant's nest, which I, I adore as well. Um, I did, always wanted to do a giant. Did you, did you read a lot of fairy stories when you were young? Did, did that come from anywhere? Or? I, I think that giant just came from... Well, the only thing I knew doing that giant was, oh, my God, I have to make it very different from every giant I ever read about because you don't want to copy and you don't want anybody to say, well, that's a, quite a boring version of J.K. Rowling's Giants. Oh, this is really not like Roald Dahl did them. That's so much better there. So I had to come up with quite a different kind of version of Giant. Mm. So, and, and they are so written about. And of course, I read all the myths and the stories I did. But later on, I didn't like fairy tales when I was a child. I thought them haunting. Were you scared of them? I was so scared of them. Ah, I was so scared of them, but it was, I, I had an LP at that time, you still had these black round things, which you, and they constantly got scratched with a needle. It's like, yeah, from the Undertale times it was. Yeah. So I listened to that and had all those haunting fairy tales about favorite horses having their heads chopped off and nailed on a gate and, and witches eating children in little gingerbread houses. And, Things like that. Because in German fairy stories, they're, they're quite... Um, they are They're quiet. quite bloody. Yes. Aren't they? And, then the, and the Grimm brothers already calmed and sweetened them down. Mm. So they were much crueler when they found them. Mm. Do you worry that, that sometimes people say your books are quite dark in that way? They always say that. Yeah, so do you worry but about that? No, I actually am not worried about that because <laughs> only the grown-ups say it, the children say more. Because it's interesting that sometimes grown-ups say to me, I couldn't bear to read that chapter, the one in, in, in Death where Mo is going crazy. Many grown-ups said to me, I can't bear to read that chapter. I think because as a grown-up, you have emotionally lived through things like that already. Whereas as a child, it's a blank page. And what you do in a book, you try death, you try darkness. You try that fear of losing someone, but hopefully it hasn't happened to you yet. So the book is almost like a preparation. Whereas for grown-ups in a book, it's often reality you meet. Mm. And that's why it haunts them much more. Mm. So in a way, I would be more worried about my grown-up readers mm. than about children. For children, you can go really dark. Mm. So um, after, at the same time, interestingly, you were finishing Ink Death. And by the way, we had a vote. We were in America once talking about that. And we, we got children to vote on their favorite titles for the last book. And they all chose Ink Death. They all, they all went for the... Um, yeah, the publishers the didn't want to do it. I, I wanted something lighter. Well, Barry didn't call it Ink, Ink Blood, Dawn. the second one. No. The second one is called Ink Blood in German, and he didn't want to no. do that. No. I just right. thought it was a little, a little, little too depressing. Yeah. Really. At the same time you were, you were writing Ink Death, Ink Heart the movie came. So that was somebody else's vision of these yeah, very important it's characters. Very true. How did that feel? Well, the thing is, I'm very easy with that because I'm so used that my books are turned into movies. It was the sixth movie. So, and I'm so used to seeing them on theater stages and hearing them read in audio recordings. So I'm very open to other people telling my story. So I don't have to agree with everything they do. In contrast, I like to, them to tell the story in a different way. So it was interesting, of course, to go to the set and to go into an Italian village which looked exactly like the villages I had thought about. That was amazing. And meet the black jackets of Capricorn coming up to me with their rifles on their backs and then saying, could you sign my book? <laughs> so that was quite a flash. You know, you're, you're, you're a writer and all your characters are around you. Suddenly I had the... Dustfingers Martin on my shoulder, or suddenly I had Dustfingers standing in the rain in front of me, or I met Maggie, or I had Fenolio and Jim Broadband, who played Fenolio, said to the other actors, Ah, oh, my job is so easy now, look at her, the writer is on the set, I just have to steal her faces. So he did just a copy of me as an old man in the movie. Quite difficult. Well, he pulled it off. Yes. I love, the, I, love seeing, um, I love seeing the horns that they put on the, uh, 
They had yes, to have. They didn't tuck them on, luckily. <laughs> they had to have lots of ferret doubles, didn't they? To, yeah, and, to and Paul that. Bettany, who did so, Dustfinger, hated so, them. Well, we are we are all alone here, and we're secret, <laughs> and and nobody else is. We're never going to tell anybody else, are we? So you can tell us who your favourite actor was. Well, that is like no secret. That was Paul Bettany. Yeah. Well, because Dustfinger exactly is a, a character who's very very close to my heart. In fact, I I guess I very much of me is in Dustfinger. So I felt. This is so important who they cast, and Paul Bettany even added to the character. So he showed me things about Dustfinger which I hadn't known. And if that happens, that is such a magical thing that I would do the movie again just to see him play Dustfinger once again and, will that and ever show happen, all that sadness. Will that ever happen? Do you think they'll ever come uh, back and let him do well, that again? Well, they're thinking at the moment about doing the pre-story, like doing, you know, Dustfinger story which I really love because I didn't do that in my book. I just gave glimpses. So in a way, the movie would enhance the books instead of melting them down because they're far too long for the screen. If people say, oh my God, there's so much missing in the movie, I say, well, if you read the book aloud, it's 18 hours and the movie has two hours to tell the story. So you have to melt it down. But uh, yeah, that was quite an experience to see him do that. So now you've, um, you've been among us here in, in Scotland and in England and America. Are, are um, Scottish and English readers different from, from the readers that you started off with in Germany? Have, have they changed your writing as well? Well, it was very interesting that when I came to, to England for the first time and I had to do my very first interviews in English and I didn't know whether I would pull that off, um, I learned so much about my writing because the English gave me another perspective on my writing. For example, I always thought I write very much like a British storytelling because I love your fairy tales so much more than the German fairy tales. And I read all the myths, the Irish, the Scottish, the, Ger the, 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 British, the English ones from Wales. I, I read all of that and felt much more responding to that. Uh, and that the English said to me, no, 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 Cornelia, you write so German. It's like, come on, this is so German. And it's interesting that on my new project, I'm working uh, with a London man, somebody who was born in London and, and raised there. And it's interesting that he says that sometimes to me. When I do a certain image, he says, well, that is very German, what you're doing. So I think it's a wonderful thing I found. And Barry knows that. When I come from America, I never go to Germany. I always go to England or Scotland or Ireland or Wales because I feel so much more at home, strangely here, that probably a former soul of mine comes from here. But they didn't give me a British passport yet. No, we, we like to. I would love to. We would like you to I, live well, here instead of that away. Hollywood place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we all have um, one of the reasons why the, the English and the Scottish and the Americans, and really Americans are just the same as English, Scottish, and Irish, and Welsh, only they're over there. They, they went there a few generations ago. They're like us, really. But um, I think sometimes. we... Sometimes. we <laughs> respond because we love your storytelling. We, we feel that what your storytelling does, it breaks open all the, all the rules that we talked about. Because I think the reason why I love the stories was that they have lots of characters and lots of plots and lots of interwoven, knitted storylines. And I, we love that texture and that power, I think, of the storytelling. Mixed in with modern children, with children, how they would really respond. And we were talking earlier about one of the things I love about your children is that they laugh at danger and they cry at fear. They do all the things that we do. And I, I love your children because of that. Yeah, it's like, and, and in a way, some Sometimes, you know, I, I think that children are so grown up in many ways that you, the, the greatest danger is to do a child character in a childish way, yeah. which children so are not. And uh, I do a book at the moment where I don't have a child as a hero. I only have grown up characters, which I never had before. And it's quite unusual for me. So almost I feel like now I'm fishing for the child in my grown-up yes. characters. So that's because very different from writing about children, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's, it's finding children different. within grown-up characters. That's a very Dustfinger is a child in a way, though, isn't he? He, he is, but also very grown-up because he went through so much loneliness yes. and so much yeah. pain. Well, now the time has come, then. We've reached the, the, the um, 
boundary, the bourne. We've reached the shore that we can now cross over. And you can tell us a little bit about your new book. Yes. Well, I, I've been working on that for almost two years. And I'm in my finishing round, hopefully. And it's called Reckless because the last name of my hero is Reckless. And I got the name from a mug because a British friend of mine brought me a mug beautifully done from a small pottery in England. And the potter is called Kevin Reckless. And I thought, what a glorious last name. I should come up with a character who has that name. And at that time, I was already working on a story about two brothers who, who find an imagined world in their father's office, of their fathers who has disappeared a long time ago. And behind that door, they will find a Europe-like world of the 19th century mixed with Grimm's fairy tales. So you will have the cunning queen building iron bridges and giving rifles to her soldiers, but she's served by shaved dwarfs. And there are unicorns, who of course, which of course are not white. And there will be gingerbread houses, as scary as the ones of my childhood. And uh, I will take- Gingerbread houses that poison you, I think. Yeah, I, absolutely. That's what, the, that's what the witches did, right? <laughs> to eat the children. So I, I have so much fun doing that because it, living in America, it, it was almost as if I went back into an old idea of Europe, which I still long for, and find all the places there which I love about Europe and all its history. And on the other hand, find all the stories which haunted me as a child and do them now my way. So tell them in a different way and tell you about the mirror of of, my God, now I lose it. Like, mirror, what is the English snow word? White, the Sleeping, snow white. Yes, yeah, snow white's mirror. And that it was quite a different mirror from what you think they are. Or I, to tell you about Sleeping Beauty's castle. And there's that terrible play when, when sleep, I'm not giving this away. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't tell you the Sleeping Beauty castle that. <laughs> no, you can't take that. I can't, can't say, take I that can't away, say, I can't say what happens. Or so, the tailor with oh, the scissors. Yes, sniffing. no, I can't tell you about yeah. that either. Oh. I, have a lot, I have a lot of fun with that story. And I, for the first time, I have a grown-up character. I have a character called Fox, who's both a fox and a girl. And she comes probably closest to being a child. Yes. She transforms, doesn't she? From a fox to a girl, from a fox to a girl. Yeah. It's she prefers amazing. to be a fox. Yeah. I think yeah. anybody would prefer to be a fox, yes. really. And I think she will be probably a favorite character of many children. Yes. But I so look forward. And that's interesting when you're working on a story and you're working on a book and the characters come alive. There comes the moment when you can't expect the reader to meet them. So at the moment, it's almost like I have a treasure chest filled for two years now. And I can't wait to show it. I can't wait to say, do you like that? Do you like it at mu yeah. as much as the ink world? Or do you maybe like the ink world better? So for me, that You're going to like adventure. this even better. There's some horrendous <laughs> bad guys as well. It's totally terrifying. <laughs> and you're going to love it. But sadly, you'll have to wait. <laughs> um, so it'll come out here in September of next year. But in the meantime, we, we may have a little bit of a small surprise. We may do um, a, a lovely horse book. I'm very happy here. that you do that. Yes. Because that is an older book of mine, which was turned into a very, very charming movie in Germany. Actually, I think the best movie, which was ever done. Yes. Oh, it's me scratching myself. <laughs> oh, horrible. Wow. That was impressive. <laughs> That's like a fantasy character, isn't it? Can I do that too? No, you can't. It's horrible. Okay. I should never have done that. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. So, we hope... I'll do that. I mustn't move. That's obviously the... But we hope that we'll be able to do that next summer. So it's a wonderful, warm and, and loving horse story. Quite exciting as well. So that'll keep you kind of, that'll keep you in the horse box while you're waiting for Reckless <laughs> to break exactly. free. That's anyway, we must ask for some questions, yes, I think. Yes, exactly. So um, over, to, over to you guys. So we start on the left, the, the gentleman in the middle. Well, I like writing, and um, I've got a plot for a story, but I don't know how to start it, really. Well, how, how do you buy you into the plot? Well, I have a plot for it, but then I don't know how to actually start the book. Well, then you have to wait until the story tells you. So you, what you have to do is work on the story, find out about your characters, tell a chapter in the middle, 
uh, try to find out where it goes, try to visualize it so clearly that you can smell it. And then at a certain point, you'll know the beginning. I have changed the beginning of my new book about 10 times by now. A number of times. A number of times. And Barry and I once again discussed today whether it's the right beginning at the moment. So it's a very good problem for a writer. The thing about, the thing about beginnings is that you can start from anywhere. You can start from a mouse hole. You can start from the giant's nest. You just, and then try and see if it feels right from yeah, there. Yeah, you have to write it. So I do that. I write many versions and then you find out. Next, uh, little girl in the middle. Where do you get your inspiration from? There she is, the best, the, the most difficult question in the universe for an author. I have not the clue, I have not the slightest clue. I have so many ideas that I have to put them in files and in notebooks and whatever, and I won't be able to write them in a lifetime. It's just they come to me all the time. They come to me just walking over the bridge in your beautiful city. They come to me meeting people, hearing, smelling something, walking in a wood. They come all the time. I think the world is full of story. Smell seems to play an important part today in it our inspiration. Is, it, it is. So um, and it triggers, sense. right? Yeah. I'm starting a book, but I don't know how to make it longer, because I finished it, but it's far too short. Well, then you probably don't know a lot about your story yet. So what you have to do is that you, first of all, ask yourself, why do you want to tell that story? Then you ask yourself whether you have the right places in there. Then you have a look how well you describe the places, whether you really get a feeling or whether you were lazy on that. Then you see whether you have enough characters. For example, for Ink Death, I put another character in, in the third draft. So don't think a story is done just, just because you wrote it once. That's nothing. That's just your sketch on the, on, on, the, on the canvas. So the first draft, when you tell a story, is just like you take a pencil and you do a rough drawing. And then you start to. Think of the colors and you think of the painting. You can add characters. You can add a whole world to it. It takes a long, long, long time. Don't be impatient. We publishers would say, have you got enough monster attacks in it? That's what we like. Young lady in the middle. What's your favorite character out of the uh, Inkheart trilogy, and uh, what character would you like to be? Uh, with the Inkheart trilogy, it's so strange. With Thief Lord, I could always say it's Prosper. With uh, Dragon Rider, I could see it's Twigleg. But with the Ink trilogy, I was like, hmm, I love Dustfinger. Oh, maybe Eleanor. Oh, no, wait, Fenolia. Oh, Maggie. So I love them all. It's an ensemble piece. And if I would have to say which character I would like to be, well, that is my privilege as the writer. I'm all of them. And that's exactly the magic when you're a writer. You are a shapeshifter. So we all know that, in fact, we are not only one person. That's the greatest illusion in the world. So we are all many, many characters just packed into one. And when you are a writer, you can let that out. So sometimes you're that character, sometimes you're the other, and you're all of them. Young, young gentleman right on the back, right on the back row. Wait, wait for the microphone. Oh, you can really shout if you like. Are you going to turn Dragon Rider into a movie? Well, you know, I tried to do that, but then, just when I had my director and my had, I had my wonderful producer, um, the How to Train a Dragon came into being, which will be glorious. I just saw two scenes of it. but. Hollywood never does two dragon movies at the same time. So my dragon has to wait. But I very much hope I will turn it into a movie one day. Um, young lady down, sorry to make you rush around, young lady down here in, in the yellow, in this middle row. Just trying to move through the audience. I'll try and come back in the other direction. I like to make people run around. Like when you were younger? My favorite book was, at, first of all, when I was about 10, a book by Michael Ende, who wrote The Never Ending Story. And it's called Jim Button and Lucas the Steam Engine Driver. 
And that was for me, and still is for me, one of the most magical books ever written for children. And uh, I think it's even published in English with, by Anthea Bell. Right? It, it was a long time ago. It's a hugely popular book in Germany. And oh. every time I bring one back, these enormously scary policemen at the border say, oh, I love that book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, it oh, here, I, I so love it. That's, that was my favorite. And then oh, the Narnia books were very much into them. And by now, my two favorite books are The Once and Future King by T.H. White and The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Um, the, the little boy in the middle there with the um, red hair. I'm trying to type a book up and I can't find the time when to do it. Oh, that's a difficult, that's a, that's a problem. Because nothing in the world eats more time than a book. Uh, believe me, you need to get into a book and to really write seriously at least two hours a day. If you do less, you won't be in the story. You will be still too much in the other world. So if you want to get really serious about writing, I fear you have to steal time wherever you can like a squirrel. Little girl right at the back, on the right at the back railing. How long did it take you to write Expel? Two years. So it's half a year preparation, eight months writing the first draft, and then the, the rest of the time is writing again and again and rewriting it, polishing, changing again. That is the most important part of a book. Could, could we go over to the next um, aisle? Sorry. Uh, I think there's a little girl there. Had a, you had do, that Sorry? do that on purpose. Do that on purpose. Center everywhere. That, <laughs> that, that, over, over there. Oh, we'll do this one. Yeah. That, that one over there? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we got somewhere. Yeah. Do you ever write your stories in order, like from beginning to end, or do you always, do you write it? No, I always do order, but I know that many writers don't do that, but I have, I need that. And then later on, you know, because I go into the maze, so very, I cannot find out what's in front. <laughs> Barry, we take that micro away from you. <laughs> He's just having fun. Okay, so, so it's like, um, some writers can do that. I don't want to know the ending, for example. If I know the ending, I get bored. So you need, for me, you need the ending like a bait at the end, which I don't know about, and I have to find out with my characters. And once I'm done with the first draft, then I can go into special, you know, go back and do the, something on the middle and work on another a chapter, but only once I'm done. Little girl in the, in the green. Down a little bit towards us. Just there. Determined to get to you. <laughs> That's it. What was your favorite book to write? Oh, I can't say that, I have to say. I would have to say, like, what's your favorite child? Couldn't say that either. I had so much pleasure with each, with each of them, though there are some which have been extremely difficult. Like, for example, Sea Float. That was the most difficult book I wrote so far. I had to throw away 100 pages once I was, and do a totally different beginning. And I rewrote it 13 times before I felt that's the story I want to tell or that's the story that's in there. And uh, with other books, like Ink Spell, for example, that went like a breeze was very, very easy. And at the moment, reckless, once again, is a more difficult thing. And I noticed that happens very often when you change something in your writing, that then the book becomes a more difficult thing to write. The young, young man with what looks like reckless written on his black T-shirt. Um, are you sad when you finish a book? Because um, when I read books, I'm always sad when I get to the end and like there's like, a happy ending, but you I, finish the book. I have the same thing when I read. I never have it when I write. Because then I have been working on that book for so long, and I've reread it so often, that I'm incredibly thrilled to be done and see it go into a print. And then the most exciting thing, to have it in the stores and hear how you like it. That is like almost the book gets, has its birthday. So, and then I am mostly already with other characters. For example, after the ink world, I was like, done, out of the maze. Let's find another one.
So that's how it works. Young lady here with the, with the red hair. Um, when you wrote Inkheart, um, Dustfinger, what or who inspired you to make him? Dustfinger? Yeah. That was very interesting. I, I, I never fully found out what inspired me because he was there from the beginning. He brought his name. Sometimes I have for a character to look through name dictionaries, to telephone books to find their names. He, found, he brought his name. I knew he has a very strange pet. I had to find out which one. And I found out he's a fire eater when I was on a medieval market in Germany and I saw fire eaters. And I suddenly thought, that's the profession of Dustfinger. And he was always, I think that part of myself is in that character. And I also think part of my husband is in that character. And all the dreams we have of being independent and wild and away from everything are in him. But at the same time, he's a sad character. Last two questions. The, the, the young lady with the black T-shirt. Do you base um, your characters on people you've met? Well, that is a dangerous thing to do. So I, not, I don't do it with friends and family because I think that's not a good idea. But you do it with people you meet during book signings. Don't yeah, you? I do it, exactly. I do it with actors. So I did it with Bob Hoskins in The Thief Lord. I stole Victor from him. And I did it with Brendan Fraser for Inkheart. I stole Mo from him. Because I thought, well, that's not a dangerous thing. You know, you know, don't know the actors. You can steal their voices. You can steal their gestures. You can steal their smiles. And that works. Yep. Last question now, the young man in blue. Um, well, in Inkheart, you, um, uh, I knew that you were German because it says in the book and the names don't sound very German, so... So that was the work of my English translator, Anthea Bell. Ah. So Anthea has to come up with new names. Sometimes she translates them, like for example, Dustfinger, is Staubfinger in German, and it means exactly the same thing. Um, sometimes we have to come with a completely new name. Like, for example, I have the princess in there, her ugliness, who is very ugly. So in German, it's die hässliche, which would be, if you translate it, the ugly one, which sounds really strange in English. So finally, I was in Edinburgh at the festival and had an audience like this, and I said to the children, I have a problem, and my translator has too. We have a character, she's called the ugly one, but that sounds so strange, and she's this princess. And a boy stood up and he said, what about her ugliness? And that's what I told my translator, and that's how we found the name. Well, thank you, Cornelia. Thank you, Barry. And, uh, uh, thank, and you. thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming. If you, could just, if you could just try and stay for a moment. Cornelia is going to be signing books. Where is the question? To the left out there. Thank you so much.